and he is then compelled as our heavenly father to love and lay down his life for us. Not just so his wrath can be appeased, but in doing so, we can have peace with him and fellowship with him forever. Hello, you're listening to the Greek to Me podcast, a daily discovery of the New Testament scriptures one word at a time. We hope today's podcast helps you better understand and appreciate God's word. Hello, today's word is halasmos. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, John writes, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. The word I want to draw out here is propitiation. It's the word halasmos in the Greek, and it means an atoning sacrifice. It means to placate or make expiation. It's an offering made to appease or satisfy an angry or offended party. A more common word to describe what propitiation means is the word payment. And in case this brings to mind a financial payment, the Bible covers that. It describes our sin in terms of a debt and Christ's death as the payment of a divine fee or fine. And depending on the offense, a fine is appropriate. The odds of many of us receiving a steep fine is likely, steep enough to even make us reconsider our actions and change for the good. Whether it's parking illegally or texting while driving or perhaps even taking something that didn't belong to us, and maybe there was probation or community service as well. The point is, while we may know a thing or two about expensive payments for our civil law-breaking, our transgression of God's law requires far more of us than we can ever pay. It demands far more of us than we could ever give. Just a single sin against an eternally holy God did us in and bankrupted us morally. For God to demand sufficient payment from us would be pointless for him, and it would mean sure hopelessness and even death for us. But, as John writes later, God sends his Son into the world to be the propitiation, the payment for our sins, so that we might live through him. D.A. Carson points out that by doing this, God is both the object and the subject of propitiation. Paul says that God is the just and the justifier of all those who would put their faith in Jesus. See, in Christ's payment for sin, we see that God is both merciful while remaining just and righteous in the process. After all, no sin may go unpunished. It is not merciful to just dismiss a legitimate conviction of lawlessness. But God is the judge who justly rules that the criminal be given an impossibly steep fine, slams his gavel, but then he does something surprising. He descends his bench, removes his robe, pulls out his wallet, and pays the fine that he had just assigned the criminal. This is the good news of the gospel. 
And speaking of good, just in case you find yourself still surprised at the name of the church holy day called Good Friday every year, that day that commemorates the crucifixion of Jesus, in, in case you're still surprised that it's called Good Friday, right? We understand that it is good because Jesus died for our sins, and that is good news, that God pays the price to save sinners, the truth is, the penalty of our sin is, in fact, an impossibly steep moral fine. We could never accumulate enough moral equity to pay our debt. We could never do enough spiritual community service known as good works or penance or selfless deeds to pay off our debt. All the worldly success, the financial status, and all the glowing character references in the world do not do any sinner any good. The only currency the great clerk of heaven accepts is moral mint, and only perfect obedience will do. There cannot be a single spot on your record. Our sin is worse than we think. God is more holy than we can imagine, and only he was in a position to accomplish what he required of us. And so Christ came as a man so that he might represent us, and he came being God so that he might be able to live a sinless life on our behalf and die a sacrificial death for our sin in our place. Thus, by trusting in Jesus Christ, he takes our rap sheet, our record, and we get his resume of perfect sinlessness. He is punished instead of us, and we are declared righteous given what only he deserves, forgiven the impossible debt of sin that separates us from God. But propitiation is about much more than forgiveness. It is about being reconciled to God relationally. And it doesn't get more relational than how John describes it in 1 John chapter 4. He writes, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him, in this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. There seems to be both a legal and a relational aspect of the offense, and there seems to be a legal and relational aspect to our forgiveness. We are not simply forgiven and then freed. It is much better than this. We are forgiven and then adopted, brought into the family of God, reconciled, the loving relationship being restored. Plenty of other religions boast in a God who is angry at sin, but no other lowercase g God is reported to ever behave like this because no devil or no human heart, which is where false religions come from, no devil or no human heart thinks the way that God does. And this is because no devil or human heart loves how God loves. He is angry at sin, and, and even the sinner, because remember, he is holier than we can imagine, but he is simultaneously love and has profound love for the sinning world that he created and mankind whom he created in his own image. And he is then compelled as our heavenly father to love and lay down his life for us, not just to simply placate his wrath, not just so his wrath can be appeased, but in doing so, we can have peace with him and fellowship with him forever. Propitiation is not just a fancy word of Christianese. It's not just a word reserved for pastors or academics. 
It's an honest translation of a word that the Holy Spirit inspired the author John to write in order to capture all that Christ had done, all that his death on the cross had accomplished. And it's an intensely practical doctrine to consider. It does more than just tell the story of the past reality of how we were saved. It is that, but it is more. In 1 John chapter 2, John writes of Jesus' propitiation on the cross as something that provides ongoing forgiveness for even the Christian. Propitiation also reminds us that we are not and cannot be saved by our own works, that only Jesus was good enough, and only by trusting in Jesus' works are we graciously credited or imputed His perfect righteousness to our moral account, and then we are saved, forgiven, and declared righteous by his works and not ours. And there's more. There's even a horizontal and interpersonal aspect to propitiation that we should consider today. Hilasmos reminds us that God didn't require man to pay for their sin against him, but we, sadly, are so quick to require others to pay fairly for their offense toward us. God had much more of a reason to be angry and demand justice than than we ever could, but instead acted out of mercy and compassion. May we be quick to show the same forgiveness, grace, and compassion that we have received from Jesus, who himself is our propitiation.